Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside my good friend, host of the Bucks Radio Network. I think technically host of the Deer District parties that are going on as well. Who knows? He's doing it all. He does a post-game show as well. And he's also on this podcast very regularly, Justin Garcia. And Justin, look, two days between game two and game three, I was just sitting here. It's Sunday morning for me over here in Australia, Saturday night for you. I thought, why don't we talk some bucks here? This is, it's been too long since we've had a game to, to discuss, but the countdown is on uh, to Milwaukee finally having a finals game. Yeah, it's funny to uh, see everything made of, man, the Phoenix Suns are in their first finals since 93 and they've never won a championship. <laughs> and like, yeah, I get the they've never won a title, but uh, it's been 47 years for Milwaukee to host a final. So they get to do that uh, later today, depending on when you listen to this. And... You know, I think we talked about it once before, but it's it's just been incredible with the amount of Bucks fans that have turned out. I've heard from a few of them that were there either in the Deer District or inside a Pfizer forum for the watch party. It sold out for game two. So there was roughly between inside the arena and the outdoor watch party, there was roughly 30,000 people down there in the Deer District for game two of the finals, which it's it's just insane to think about even where this franchise was five years ago. Well, I would imagine the game three is going to be similar. I don't know. I've been talking to some people. Uh, let's just say finals tickets are not cheap, but yeah. uh, they'll sell it out. They'll sell it out, but they'll have thousands and thousands of people uh, outside the arena as well, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've woken up. Uh, I've been up for a couple of hours. Let's, let's not make myself sound too bad here, but I, I did see the Bobby Portis article getting around. Did you Did you read that yet? I, uh, I saw the headline. I started reading it. I haven't gotten through all of it, but it's uh, what I have. It's what I expected. Well, he's going to rally the troops. There's no doubt about that as far as Bucks fans go tomorrow. It's been a very quiet series for Bobby so far. But, you know, this is the really fascinating thing about Game 3. And I wrote about this yesterday that, you know, playoff series swing and they change so damn quickly. But this is a massive game for the Bucks because... They are either 48 minutes away from their season being done and the fact you're not coming back from a 3-0 deficit, or if they win this game, which I think they will at home, then it's 2-1, and all of a sudden the series is right back on. So it is obviously, it goes without saying, a massive game, but I would expect that the uh, the Bucks fans are going to be pretty fired up because uh, honestly, looking at the first two games, particularly game two with the adjustments the Bucks made, some of the moves they, they made there, and clearly just the number one thing that Giannis is looking as good as he is looking. I think no panic. I think no panic has to be the message for this team. And to their credit, I think they've been pretty good at, uh, at doing that through the postseason so far. It's a weird feeling um, to be down two games to none to a really good team and in the NBA Finals, and I mean, that's the way I feel too of you're disappointed because both of those games were winnable games for the Bucks, but 
you can't help but draw on that net series, even the Hawks series when you lose game one, a lot different from being down 2-0 in the finals, but you lose game one, even when Giannis goes down and the series is tied at two games apiece. It just feels like this team has been here numerous times. And it's not good, but it does seem like this team just plays better once they've been pushed against the wall. And now they know, okay, there's very little margin for error moving forward. And that's where we see them start to turn things around. So I think you put all your hope in the fact that that's what we'll see going forward in this series. Um, But I'm with you. I mean, I expect them to win game three. Did you think they were going to win game two, though? No. Um, Oh, you didn't? No, I, I didn't. But I think the point you made at the start there was that this Phoenix team is just really, really, really good. So I, I yeah. think when I when I say don't panic, I, I think it's from the point that you made that I think both games they could have won. Game one felt a, a little more unsustainable in terms of how you're going to be able to keep pace with a team like the Phoenix Suns, particularly given the fact that the Bucks shot the ball so well from three and still weren't able to win that game. But game two, I think, is the formula for Milwaukee to follow moving forward in the series and look phoenix just have a really 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 damn good home court advantage so i think if you're milwaukee as you said look this isn't the spot they want to be in i'm not trying to say that you should be feeling comfortable and fine if you're a bucks fan with the fact you're trailing 2-0 because the reality is this series can be over very very quickly if the bucks don't win this game three but i think what we saw in game two was the bucks really get back to who they are first of all dominance in the paint uh, the, the fact that they, they actually lost the paint battle in the first game was a terrible sign. That's not sustainable. They went to work early in this game. And then defensively, I think we saw a lot of the base defense, which is, look, that's where they're going to be in their comfort zone. I know it, it could potentially open up opportunities for Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but they also just said, look, Drew Holiday, you're arguably our best defender, Giannis, Drew, whatever, Brooke Lopez, lots of good guys in there. But Drew, we need you to just stop Chris Paul. And you're not going to completely take Chris Paul out of the game, but if you just compare game one to game two, game one, 32 points on 19 shots, nine assists, two turnovers. Game two, 23 points on 20 shots, eight assists, and a playoff high, six turnovers. He had not had more than four turnovers in a postseason game so far. I I think that what they did in game two is not only repeatable, but I I think it's a very sustainable way to to ensure that the Bucs are going to be able to stay within distance of a Phoenix team, then it comes down to a little bit of three-point defense as well. Yeah, that's the way they're going to have to play. And, I mean, I know it's easy to point to, well, if this would have happened, it's different. But, I mean, if some of those shots at the rim would have gone down in the first half, who knows how this game is different and how that changes the course of the second quarter either because – a handful of the guys touched on it after the game, and obviously it stands out when you look at the box score, but it's the second quarter that killed you. And so in both of these games, there's been that one problematic quarter, the second quarter of game two, the third quarter of game one, and just the way that they closed out the half has been really poor as well. So I think those are the things you look to clean up, but also, I mean, you have to assume Drew Holiday is not going to go 5 of 15 in the paint again, that we're going to get some of these shots to start to drop. And I think that drastically changes the outcome of that game. I mean, he's 9 of 23 in the paint in this series, which for Drew Holiday to be shooting 40% that close to the basket, is it's just absurd. So, again, you don't want to be down two games to nothing to the Suns, but it's a spot the Bucs have been in before. 
They've been in this spot with Drew Holiday going through some struggles, with Chris Middleton doing the same. I think really the discouraging parts are you did have two winnable games, and one of them you lost when you turned in a good three-point shooting performance. The other you lost when Giannis played like Superman. And Holiday was spectacular defensively. The, the yeah. two blocks that he had, the one block on eight, and the other block was Booker, I think, was it? The, yeah, the well, and, and like, you, like you said, too, I mean, what was noticeable from the jump was just him picking up Chris Paul, mm-hmm. a three-quarters court, and going through screens and, and sticking on him. I mean, there was two instances, I remember, where he did go under the screen, and as soon as it happened, you thought, oh, I hope this doesn't. And before you could even get it out of you know, your mouth, of hope this doesn't come back to bite us, Chris Paul hits a three. So <laughs> he played great defensively. And, I mean, we saw some of the drop with Brooke as well, that they were able to tinker with that. It was just kind of a a pick your poison of, do we want to limit these guys and continue to make it tough for these two, knowing the way we've done this with some overhelps, it's left us pretty vulnerable for the corners. And, you know, that was the one thing that I was pointing to at halftime of, yeah, the Suns are shooting 57% from three. And I saw a few people say, there's no way that can last. Well, the Bucks gave up 12 looks from the corner in the first half. So if you're going to give up corner looks, it can last. And we saw it basically did, that they shot 50%. But, I mean, I think the adjustment is that's, that's – I think that's a trade-off you're willing to make. If it's going to be Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder hitting threes and you're just making it tough for Devin Booker and Chris Paul, if that's how you lose, then that's how you lose. I, I do agree. I, I think it's okay. And, and this is where it comes back to the complicated – conversation that I think Frank and myself discussed from game one where I think Jeff Van Gundy or Mark Jackson or or both of them were saying well you know just get the ball out of Chris Paul's hands and make Cam Johnson beat you or Jay Crowder and it's like okay um, that's easier said than done first of all and then secondly these guys as you just correctly uh, stated there Justin it's okay to sit there and say well they're just not going to shoot that well again next game but they will if they're wide open and 22 yeah. out of the 40 attempts from three in game two were classified as wide open attempts for the Suns. A lot of them came from the corner, as you specified. So it's not a surprise that they were 10 for 17 from the corners on the night. And on those wide open attempts overall, they were 63%. So when you hear Chris Milton and Drew Holiday talking after the game and they say, maybe we overhelped a little bit, I think that's right. But it's also, it's not as simple as, well, just don't overhelp. Because when you're looking at Devin Booker and you're looking at Chris Paul in particular, who is so crafty and so smart at working the angles and, and making the, the helper there, whether it is Middleton or it's Pat Conan and whoever it is, feel like they are close enough to engage the play. As soon as you take a step towards Chris Paul, he's going to kick it out to the corner. So this is not... This isn't a simple equation for Milwaukee, but I do think it comes back to a little bit of trust with Drew Holiday's one-on-one defense, a little bit of trust with P.J. Tucker's one-on-one defense, who I thought actually did a decent job on Booker at times. Of course, in the second half, he was just scorching hot. What are you going to do? And Brooke Lopez in the paint. So I think it comes back to a little bit more trust, try and resist overhelping because the numbers that stand out to me, and I was going through some of this uh, yesterday I was, as I was looking ahead to game three. So Cam Johnson uh, so far in the postseason is 20 for 36, 55% on wide open threes. Mikel Bridges is 20 for 42, 47% 
and Jay Crowder, 18 for 39, 46%. So these guys are just going to hit those shots. So you can't be sitting there as a Bucks fan saying, well, they're not going to shoot that way again. Of course, they could have a cold night, but the numbers are telling you, and if you look through the regular season, it's the same thing. If you leave these guys open, they're going to knock down those threes, and then it, that's where it comes back down to, okay, what do we actually want to do here? Do we want Chris Paul to shoot a contested mid-range fadeaway jump shot? Yes, that's a high-quality shot for him. Or do we want to be giving away open threes? And I think that's a, a genuine discussion to be had because then when you go to the, the contested threes, Cam Johnson has only attempted three all postseason, hasn't hit one. Mikel Bridges has only attempted eight. He's only hit two of those as well. So these guys are shooters that even if they're semi-contested, the numbers just completely capitulate. So wide open, just for reference, wide open is a defender six plus feet away. Open, the, the, as they classify, open shot is four to six feet away. So the defender kind of gets a hand in his face, a late contest, perhaps. These things are obviously hard to track as well. So you have to take these numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt. But Cam Johnson, only 35% on those attempts. So he drops from 55 to 35 Mikael Bridges drops from 47 to 27, and Crowder drops from 46 to 25. So I just don't think that it's a major adjustment, and that's why I say don't panic defensively because, yeah, look, they burnt you, and they'll burn you again if, if they had those open looks. But if you can just stay a little bit more attached to those guys, I think you'll see pretty good results. Yeah, I think what uh, the one where you, you had to have been scratching your head and thinking, how is this happening, is when Torrey Craig hits two threes. I mean, <laughs> I don't care if he's open or not. If Torrey Craig's hitting multiple threes, that feels like we're already going down the path of this isn't your game. So uh, I'm, I'm with you where, you know, campaign, and, and it, it kind of goes along with the overall point of, well, you're, you know, Phoenix is hitting these tough contested shots that part of you thinks – we'll take our chances like game three, maybe it swings and maybe it's game four that eventually those shots are going to start to rim out more very similar to what we've seen for the bucks in these first two games and especially in game two, but they've done it all season. So it's, it's something that you kind of have to accept is going to happen. And, and same with the guys like campaign who's been terrific all season long and, and cam Johnson has been good for him throughout the playoffs. So if you leave them open, they're going to make you pay. I think, you just uh, Phoenix, I know as a team, the percentages have, I believe, gone up. They're one of the few teams that has actually shot the ball better on the road <laughs> than they have at home in the regular nice. season and playoffs. Yeah, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's another thing. There's no statistics behind it, but that's another thing that you point to and say, okay, Cam Johnson made an impact with those two threes. I think he had two in each of the two games. Torrey Craig did the same thing, and campaign had a huge impact in game one. We're not expecting, you know, basically what we saw in game five against the Hawks where Bobby Portis scores 22 or, or what, game two against the Heat where Brent Forbes basically did the same. But can you give us two or three shots that when we're at home, both of those guys seem to play better? Maybe it means Cam Johnson isn't quite as impactful either being on the road. But that's another thing I think you would point to if you're the Bucks and say, not only do we play better at home, but we have seen – us especially, our role players have played better here in Milwaukee, and that's what it's going to come down to, that you're going to need Giannis to be honest. You're going to need the other guys to give you more than they did in uh, game two, but you're also going to need, I think, one of those two guys, whether it's Bobby Portis or Brent Forbes, even Pat, who, who offensively played well in game two. You're going to need one of those guys to have the game where it's 
they hit two or three threes, and they were big threes that really helped the Bucks go on a run. Yeah, no question. And look, again, I think to this point, the way that I would summarize this series is that it's been pretty close. We thought it was going to be pretty close coming into the finals. And unfortunately for the Bucks, they just haven't been able to take their opportunities. And, and I think the Suns obviously have, but that's going to be the difference whether you can win a title or not win a title. And so far, the, the Suns are beating the Bucks in all the, all the moments. And it's whether it is multiple offensive rebounds and then capitalizing and hitting a shot. If it is Brook Lopez getting a lot of offensive rebounds early in game one and not being able to capitalize, it's just been those little moments. And that's why it's okay to sit here and say, well, you've lost two games on the road. It's fine. No need to panic, as I've been saying. But also, there's no room for error, as you mentioned, right. Justin. And I, and I think this brings me back to Drew Holiday. So uh, the reason why I pointed out the defense with Drew Holiday is because, look, he, he is still having a major impact on this team. But I think, unfortunately for Drew this postseason, I just can't really think of a game where it was the Drew Holiday game. And, you know, he was pretty good in game five and game six against Atlanta, or pretty good to underplaying it. He was absolutely excellent when Giannis was in the lineup. He stepped up. There's no doubt about that. But there still wasn't one game. I mean, game five was Brook Lopez, 33 points. Game six was Chris Middleton, obviously, with that massive uh, 23-point third quarter. So... It's he, he hasn't had a game. It, arguably, the only game that he's really broken out was game one against Atlanta, but they lost. So I, I think that's why it feels like it's been underwhelming. I, I would really push back on anyone that is suggesting or insinuating. I listen to a lot of national pods just trying to get a feel for how people are, are looking at this series. And for the most part, most people said, look, this is actually pretty close. The Suns have just won at the margins, as we've discussed. But I did hear a lot of people saying, well, what is going on with Drew Holiday? He's got to relax. I disagree. I was really happy with the way that he approached this game in the first quarter. Look, he faded out a little bit, mostly because Giannis just completely took this game over. I know you look at the shots and you say 21 shots. I'm fine with it. Absolutely fine with it. If you look at his numbers across this series so far, you mentioned the, the paint, but he's actually 6 for 15 from within 5 feet of the basket, which is just extraordinary, 40%. He was 59% from that area through the first three rounds of the postseason. So this is just really, really abnormal finishing. Now, of course, I think a lot of them have been really good looks. We should also acknowledge that Phoenix coming into the finals were the best rim-protecting team uh, in the postseason, I believe. Although right there with yeah. Milwaukee, those teams were, were both really, really good. So look, give credit to Phoenix. They've got five versatile defenders basically on the floor at all times. I mean, it's an extraordinary uh, deep lineup that they can put up there, different uh, combinations. But but Drew Holiday has just been missing shots. I think the worst possible thing that he can do is go into game three and lose that aggressiveness and stop trying to get into the paint. The Bucks had the lead of that stretch when he was really uh, sort of aggressively getting in there because it also creates opportunities to facilitate. We've seen that with him. The assist numbers have still been okay. It's just the scoring down. So look, there wouldn't be a better time for a Drew Holiday game. But again, I would push back on anyone saying that he was not doing the right thing or he was taking bad shots in game two. I really like to see it. That's the Drew Holiday I think we're going to need in game three. Well, yeah, and uh, we can cool it on the uh, the infamous screenshot that's gone around too of the, here's Eric Bledsoe's career playoff numbers with the Bucks, and here's Drew Holiday's. Do you see the similarities? Because... You're not speaking to what Drew Holiday did on the, on the other end of the floor as well. 
Um, you know, I, I think what you would point to for the Drew Holiday game so far, he was really good in the Miami series, especially at the end of that series. And the only other one that comes to mind was game two against Atlanta when they had the total regroup. And I think he was close to a plus 40 mm-hmm. in that game <laughs> too, where he was just a menace on both ends of the floor. So that's as close as you get that really the story from this playoffs has been Chris putting up the multiple 20 point quarters and then Giannis playing, you know, like a cyborg in game two of the finals so far. So I'm with you about how he needs to, it's not relax. It's he needs to remain in attack mode. And, you know, based off the way that he's handled all the press afterwards, he said that that's what he knows he has to continue to do. So I don't expect him to do anything less beginning in game three of this series. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed out too, that it has been a close series that I know Phoenix is plus 23, but these have been close games and it's really, I know we mentioned at the top, it was the second quarter in game two and really the third quarter in game one, but it's really been five minutes in each of these two games. And it was at the exact same time in each game where the Bucks tied the score at 45 and for the final five minutes of the first half and a little bit into the third quarter, Phoenix goes on a 20 to seven run in game two with about five minutes left. The Bucks tie the game at 41 and Phoenix goes on, I think like a 19 to five run to all of a sudden go up double digits at halftime that it's just been these five minute stretches at the end of the half that has propelled the Phoenix Suns. Otherwise these have been close competitive games, save for one quarter. One other thing that I think is worth pointing out is the rotation for Phoenix. So look, injuries have just been an absolute disaster throughout the whole postseason. It's been devastating to watch, honestly. I mean, I, I think everyone just wants to see the players playing. You know, I'm sick of watching a game and every single game there's someone that goes down. Clearly, from a Milwaukee point of view, I, I'm almost covering my eyes on every single yeah. Giannis drive to the basket right now with how aggressively he's playing. I mean, it's been extraordinary, but God, it's, it's anxiety-inducing watching him play basketball at the moment. But from the Phoenix point of view, uh, Torrey Craig was the latest one to go down. You already mentioned he hit a couple of shots there. But Dario Saric, obviously, we know he's out for the series. I don't think Torrey Craig will play tomorrow. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens there. I, I believe he was listed day-to-day. You don't day-to-day, have... day yeah. Yeah, so we'll see whether Torrey Craig plays. But it is interesting to see how that impacts the rotation because basically they went to seven guys. I mean, Frank Kaminsky played a little bit, but he's only played 43 minutes in the entire postseason. And quite frankly, like, bring it on if you want to put Frank Kaminsky out on the floor. Like, that's that, there's no issues with that. And then Abdul Nader was the only other guy who played like literally a minute, I think, or two minutes in game two. So they might go to seven guys. And I I do think the player to watch in that scenario is DeAndre Ayton. He's going to have Giannis coming at him at all times. And that's why I think the paint, the assault on the paint needs to continue, make DeAndre Ayton work because he is a a massive guy. He's a massive guy. And they're going to need him to play 42 minutes probably Minimum. I mean, he's going to be playing a lot of work here. If the Bucs can extend this series, let's see if we can wear down DeAndre Ayton. Uh, yeah, I agree. I would be very surprised if Torrey Craig played in game mm-hmm. three. But then again, I think we were all in the, I'll be surprised if Giannis plays in the finals boat and, and look how that yeah. turned out. Um, but there are, I mean, their injuries have been interesting because of losing Dario Saric for the reasons you pointed to. I mean, that's, that's your only backup five that people keep talking about. Well, maybe this means you got to play Frank Kaminsky. I mean, it's kind of the same as 
the Brooklyn Nets series where we thought, well, maybe this means you have to play DeAndre Jordan when there was just no chance that DeAndre Jordan was seeing the floor. I mean, I think based off what we've seen through the first two games and through the playoffs as a whole, the only way Frank Kaminsky is really getting on the court more than, what, three to five minutes is if DeAndre Ayton is all of a sudden in foul trouble or something else happens. Uh, but the the Tory Craig part is interesting because with Dario Saric out, I mean, you could get by with limited minutes of Tory Craig at the four, that he could play anywhere from two to four. And if he's gone, maybe it does mean you see a couple of Frank Kaminsky minutes, but we saw them use Abdel Nader a little bit more in that series against the Clippers. And I do wonder if you try to play small ball with him and just play him at the three at times in game three, especially if Torrey Craig isn't going to be able to go, but it doesn't leave them with a whole lot of options. Again, their bench has been effective and we talked at, at length about what campaign and cam Johnson have done, but it's still just rolling seven deep then. And that's basically the same case for both of these teams that we've ext- extensively seen the bucks be seven or eight deep and, you know, I think that the only changes you would potentially see are, again, Bobby Portis and Brent Forbes played 11 total minutes in game two. Maybe those minutes go up and we see less Jeff Teague in game three in front of the home crowd. But that's really the only change I think you would look to for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I've just got the numbers up in front of me here. Funnily enough, um, maybe some Bucks fans won't find it too funny, but Jeff Teague is actually averaging more minutes per game than Brent Forbes and Bobby Porter. He's up, and it's only ten. Like, let's be honest; like, they really are stretching it thin at the at the moment. But yeah, Forbes and Porter just have not been able to have an impact at all in 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 this series and look they'll need something particularly Portis I mean I think the number that stands out to me when when I look at his numbers right here just one offensive rebound across the two games and look I know he's only played 20 minutes but wasn't that where he had an impact early in that game against Atlanta and I think the physicality is is, is an area where the Bucks can get on top here particularly the offensive glass and then uh, as, as I already mentioned um, getting into the paint so look you would love to see Bobby Portis you know he's going to be fired up to play at five serve for him. He read a damn story about it. So, look, he's going to be getting everyone going. But, yeah, uh, look, as far as the rotation goes, it's kind of nice to have a, a another team that's sort of in our area here running the six-man, seven-man rotation because, look, hats off to Pat Connaughton. We've, we've said it all season long. I, I, think he's, I think his regular season was pretty good, to be honest. But in this series, he's been valuable. Uh, we already discussed it. But, geez, it was a shame that they couldn't take advantage of a four, three-point make night for Pat Connaughton there in game two, but he's been pretty reliable. And again, and maybe one of those guys on the home floor as a role player can knock down a few more of those threes, but it's going to be fascinating as we sit here now in 24 hours. Uh, we might be near in halftime. So we'll have a better idea of where this NBA finals is going to head here, but I'm excited. I'm excited for the Bucks to be back on the home floor. It is really cool. I keep saying this, but it's cool. You know, I saw yeah, Eric and a few other friends that were there at practice um, today and just the finals, all the stuff, the finals, logos, everything inside Fiserv Forum. Again, of course, it, it's a shame that this game is being held with the Bucks down 2-0, but I don't think it will take away from the experience. You just hope that... It's a fun one for all the fans. They can extend this series and really, really get things fired up for Game 4 as this, uh, as this series hopefully turns into a classic. 
Yeah, I was there earlier today and, and we've seen uh, or I've seen them getting the arena ready to host the finals for the last week or so. It, it, Sunday morning, as soon as they um, actually it was Saturday, the day of game six against Atlanta, they already had some stuff there in advance to start to get it ready. And now seeing all that come to life and uh, receiving my finals credential and, and seeing, holy cow, the NBA finals are going to be in Milwaukee. It's it's still uh, it's a surreal feeling, I think, for all Bucks fans, too, especially once game time rolls around and you see the uh, the establishing shots outside of Fiserv Forum in Milwaukee and hear Mike Breen's voice and realize this is the NBA Finals in our home arena. So how fired up are you? Will you sleep tonight? What does what is, what is the next 24 hours look like for you? <laughs> uh, I will sleep a little bit. Uh, it's... Um, it's, a, it's in that weird spot where I think all Bucks fans are, too, of the tip time being at 7, 7.10, actually. So you're waiting all day Sunday that uh, I've done basically everything I can to prep for the game already in advance. And now I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and probably just drive myself crazy waiting for tip-off to roll around. So I would imagine there's going to be a whole lot of people there, and it's going to be a lot longer to get into the building than usual. So... I would guess most of my day will be spent at the arena, but uh, yeah, I will, uh, I'll sleep fine tonight. It's just going to be waking up in the morning and then waiting for hours and hours and hours. Well, I always say that that's the, that's one of the benefits of being here in Australia or I'll wake up in the morning, go for a little walk, grab a coffee, get myself settled on the couch and we'll be ready for tip off. So uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. What time is this tip off tomorrow? I guess I should know this, Justin. Is it, is it seven? Central? It is uh, 7 o'clock, yeah, and uh, the actual tip time is 7.10, so oh, man. 7 o'clock, the only non-8 o'clock tip in the series. Nice. We like it. Everyone likes that. Early tip is, is better for everyone, and, uh, and also, like you said, for the locals, an hour off, uh, off the wait time, an hour off the anxiety, so it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, we don't normally do podcasts on the weekend. I'm not sure how many people are going to even check the feed to be able to get this one, but with two days off, I thought we should just at least decompress the first two games a little bit and look ahead to game three. So, Justin, uh, on a Saturday night, uh, what a pleasure. As Team USA have just lost to Nigeria uh, in mm. basketball as well. So, those guys clearly are desperate for Chris Milton and Drew Holiday. But we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, Justin, always a pleasure. Appreciate you taking the time on a Saturday. Anytime. All right. We'll be back after game three. Frank will be here. Hopefully it's not flat Frank that doesn't really want to talk too much. Uh, we like it better when he's in a, a happy mood. So we'll be uh, hopefully wrapping up a Bucks win in game three of the finals. But enjoy it wherever you're watching over the world. I always talk about the locals, but we know we have listeners from all over the world. So wherever you're watching it, enjoy it. Stay safe. We'll catch you guys after the game.